It's the Field of Vision podcast with your host, Jordan Eisen. How's it going, everybody? And welcome into the Field of Vision podcast. Today, joining me is Jason Collette of RotorWire. He has won the FSWA Fantasy Baseball Writer of the Year Award in 2013 and was a finalist eight times. So, Jason, tell me a little bit about yourself, your work. Uh, what's your approach to fantasy baseball this season? Any of those points? Do you have anything to sure, add on yeah. to it? Yeah, thanks for having me on. So uh, I've been doing this uh, quite a long time uh, for a variety of uh, places, but uh, RotoWire uh, Roto has been my longest stint here. I've been with RotoWire, I believe, since now, since 2013. Uh, so it, it's been a while um, with that. So I enjoy, I have a weekly column there called Colette Calls. And I also do a uh, weekly appearance on the Fangraph Sleeper in the Bus podcast. I usually record that on Sunday mornings. Uh, as well, but you know, for this season, uh, I'm I'm excited to see the season, uh, and I'm, really, my approach has been to try a few new things. I think we're going to see. We've already seen some of it here in the first two to three days of the season, where teams are not going very deep with their uh, pitchers that aren't their aces, and the bullpen is going to be even more prevalent and important. So this year, I've spent a lot of time uh, and a lot of the drafts rostering those types of pitches, your guys that work in high leverage innings, your guys that are willing to work as bulk guys, and then the closers. So uh, you know, we've seen it with uh, Seth Lugo already getting a win. We saw it with Nick Anderson coming in in the seventh the other day to save the game in the seventh inning, uh, even though Oliver Drake got the save. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, see these managers utilizing the the leverage index rather than the ending on the scoreboard to dictate who's going to come in and pitch when. Yeah. And full disclosure, none of us really know how the rest of the season's going to look. We're recording this on Sunday. So for all we know, by the end of today, everything could be completely different. So this is just kind of our shot at look at looking at what we have so far and kind of projecting it onto the rest of the season. So since at least my last podcast, the playoff expansion was announced. So what do you think of it? Like, do you think it will impact who's traded uh, someone, maybe like someone like Keone Kella? The Pirates aren't good, but when 16 teams make the playoffs, maybe they'll have a hot streak and try to win it. And Keone Kella will stay the closer for the whole year. So that and really anything. What are your thoughts on the playoff expansion? I, I like it. And the thing is, it's probably going to be a permanent thing as well, uh, because it's, you don't see a lot of leagues expand playoffs and then contract them. You know, with 16 teams making it out of 30, I mean, I do like the rule that the lower teams have to play everything on the road in that first round, which makes it very interesting. Uh, and it's going to keep more teams around. I mean, here we are recording this on Sunday and and uh, what we have all these teams that are one and one. Uh, we have three or four teams that are two and zero out of the gate, but a lot of teams are one and one. I mean, even the Giants have already beaten the Dodgers one time. The Orioles have already beaten the Red Sox one time. So anything's possible in a short type of season, uh, and, and every team has a chance to make the playoffs on paper. 
Uh, and that may that may make for a very, very boring trade deadline because some of these teams may say, you know what, if I've got a shot, I'm just going to go ahead and keep my guy uh, if they're going to play for the short term rather than the long term. I mean, there may be, I'm not going to say there, not, there won't be any trades, but I could definitely see some teams holding out and, and giving it a shot. You get in the postseason, anything can happen. Uh, and the, you know, the, the advantage, you know, the hostile environment, if you will, that comes in the postseason play, you know, we're likely going to have postseason play with no fans in the stands still coming into October. So some of these places aren't going to be as, uh, you know, as, as problematic as they are with fans in the stands. I mean, yeah, you'll have the home field advantage because you get last ups, uh, but without the crowd, they can pump as much crowd noise as they want to in the place. It's, it's, it's just not the same. Uh, so I'd be curious. I mean, it's a, it's a laboratory of a season and the league's trying out different things. And I think we're going to see teams do the same thing. Or we could see all like, we could see like 20 teams try to compete to get Hunter Harvey and see him go for a huge package that we wouldn't ordinarily see. It, it's hard to say right now because we haven't seen this before, obviously, but I think it will lead to some crazy stuff at the trade deadline, but also a team like the Texas Rangers or the Philadelphia Phillies who people didn't think the would make the playoffs. They now have a really good shot. So it widens uh, which fans are involved in still watching their teams once they would ordinarily be out of it. But this year it's completely different. So it's going to be really, really interesting, I think. Another rule that has changed is the extra innings rule. We have already seen it a few times. Uh, I'm kind of a baseball reformist, if you will. So I like it. I think it speeds up the game. I think it's really interesting. Uh, it kind of make us, makes it a little too fast. I think maybe a runner on second and the 11th would be good. But what do you think about it? I don't like it. I mean, I, I really do. And I've seen it in play. I mean, I live in Charlotte, so I have I have minor league. I've seen it in the minors. Uh, but I, I'm not a fan. Like uh, yesterday, Royals won a game and don't even have an official at bat uh, the way it worked out. I, I get trying to, um, you know, you want to limit the length of a game, and especially in the short season where we've seen some of these other games previously go 15, 16 innings and it burns to the pitching staff that type of thing. Uh, but I, I'm just not a fan of guys starting on second base. Uh, and we've seen it work out a few different ways because we saw it in the uh, the Angels and the A's game uh, where they end up loading the bases in the walk-off grand slam. Uh, but then like, when we saw it the other day, it was sack bunt, sack fly, uh, and there's the run. So I wish it would have, again, you're experimenting in the short season, fine. Go ahead and try it. This is one of those things I, don't, I hope doesn't stick around. Uh, I do love the universal DH. I just don't love this extra inning rule at all. I think the extra inning rule definitely won't stay the way that it is just because it's getting so much backlash. But I like the concept kind of. Maybe a runner on second and the 10th is a little too much. Maybe a runner on first and the uh, 11th or something lesser. But still like the same idea would be a better better thing to do for baseball because it is really easy to score a guy on second with no outs. So it, we won't see very many games go past 10 and probably none go past 11. Yeah. They were saying, I I, I think I saw a graphic during one of the, the, the Mets and Braves game that said 70 in the minors, like 73 to 76% of games ended in the first inning. 
uh, of it. I remember, I remember going to one game uh, and the very first batter, the extra innings uh, hit a home run in the bottom. I think it was, uh, may have been either Aloy Jimenez or, or Luis Robert in a Charlotte game, but yeah, they came out and they shut down the top and the very first pitch of the bottom of the frame walk off Hummer. So uh, yeah, that was fun uh, to see, but I think that's what the rating was. I mean, it will shorten, it should no doubt shorten uh, the length of some of these extra inning games, but, uh, I would prefer to go back to the other format and, you know, let try it that way. I just, it's, it's not a lot of games overall, but it's, you know, now that I've I thought it wouldn't be so bad when I, uh, until I've seen it a few times now that I'm like, yeah, not a fan. Speaking of Eloy and Robert, they're off to pretty hot starts. So along with them and anyone else off the top of your mind, do you buy into any hot starts? Like, are you moving any guys way up your fantasy rankings or way down? Well, let's start with way up, I guess. Well, you know, in a normal season, uh, I try to preach pray, uh, patience and let things play out. You got to, you know, anybody can get on a heater. Anybody can get in a slump and, and those things can turn around at a snap of a finger as well. But in a short season like we're presented with right now, you know, you don't have the time to watch those things play out. If a guy's on a heater, you grab it and you run with it until it cools off. But you always want to be, you always want to make that drop uh, a few days early or the day before rather than a day late. Or if you're in a weekly, you know, a week early versus a week late. I'll use the example of Alex Cobb. You know, Alex Cobb pretty much went undrafted in pretty much all leagues, right? Then he goes out on Saturday and he just pretty much shuts down the Red Sox. Looks really good doing it. So if you had picked up Alex Cobb, that if you had drafted him as a reserve, as a dart throw, or if you had your first free agent process and you picked him up on the cheap, going into this weekend, you know uh, we're recording this on Sunday, so Sunday evening, he's gonna go for he's gonna go for more and fab this weekend than he did the previous weekend because we have that recency bias. We've seen how he looks. You're like, oh wait, he can throw the split finger change up again. Uh oh, maybe there's something here, and so that's where you always want to try to be a week early on guys. But you just got you have to let. Normally, I'm, I'm a, you know, you let the patients play out. But right now, uh, my advice to people is you got to be as aggressive as you can, uh, both in acquisitions and cuts. So I am just looking over my rankings and I've moved uh, Johan Moncada way up because I wasn't sure if he was healthy, really. I've moved Joey Votto up a ton because he's had two home runs in two games. Who are some guys like that for you who you just see skyrocketing? I'm not sure if you've updated your rankings yet, but who are some guys just skyrocketing your rankings and moving up dozens of spots? I mean, if you if you look at some of the things this weekend, like Tommy Pham, the fact that Tommy Pham's got four stolen bases and is running pretty much every time he's on base right now, I don't know if that's more of, you know, we have a rookie manager there uh, in Jace Tingler, so we don't know what his tendencies are. Uh, or if this is more of a uh, is this is more on Arizona and their and their pitching battery are, are their pitchers slow to the plate? Do they just not respect Carson Kelly and Stephen Vogt throwing out runners? But you know Tommy Pham's out there running, uh, and so that's noticeable. Uh, Jonathan uh, Loizaga looks really good today against the Nationals, mm-hmm. hitting 99 on the black. Now the thing is, how much is he going to pitch? And that's really been my theme. You know, we we started talking earlier about different utilizations of pitchers. Loizaga has more value if he has an opener in front of him, or if he's coming in. Let's say he comes in behind a Jordan Montgomery who gets back into rotation this week, and and Montgomery goes four innings. Loizaga comes in and pitches the next few. Yankees score runs. Loizaga gets the win. You know, but that's the kind of pitcher I'm looking 
looking for. Even today, as we're recording this, Blake Snell went two innings, uh, two scoreless innings, but they were inefficient innings, and he's out. And here comes Trevor Richards. And now Trevor Richards is pitching the bulk, and he's going to go possibly three innings today. And if the race can get a lead while he's in, he gets the win out of it if they're, if they're really good bullpen can hold that lead. So those are the types of pitchers I'm looking at is to see how this utilization plays out because, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it was all SP1 and SP2. We expect those guys to go deep into, uh, deeper into games, but it's this back end, this 3-4-5. How are managers going to handle that, especially these first two weeks with 30-man rosters and then 28-man rosters for the next two weeks? So half the season, we have, gi- we have giant rosters. Uh, and we've even seen the Yankees. They've had to go through some of their bullpen, and so they sent down Clint Frazier and somebody else yesterday and called up another arm. So they have 16 or 17 arms uh, on their 30-man roster right now. So it's very interesting to see how uh, these clubs are going to do this and, and use this like a, a spring training game, if you will. Even you know the Jays just pulled their starter out of the game. So we're into the bullpen in this Jays-Rays game today here in the third inning. <laughs> yeah, and t- Taylor Hatch looked really, really good. Uh, Thomas Hatch, sorry. He looked really good. And they already pulled him probably because maybe they don't have confidence in him second and third time through the lineup. I, I was watching the game just before I hopped on this call. And he, Thomas Hatch looked good, but they pulled him apparently. And why do you think that is? Like, just to conserve and I, I get the deeper rosters, but if a guy looks good, why not just keep him in a little longer? Yeah. I mean, when I think it comes down to the 30 man roster, I mean, they've got all these arms, they may as well use them. Uh, and I agree. I mean, Hatch was, was hitting 96 and, and showing a really nice change up as well. And they let him go through the lineup one time through. And then here comes the, the funny thing for me is here, you know, G man Choi is a leadoff hitter in the game. G-Man Choi is now switch hitting for the first time in a major, uh, you know, first time in a Rays uniform. Now he just struck out, uh, but he went switch hitting uh, and uh, against the lefty. They brought the lefty K in out of the bullpen, and Choi turned around and hit righty and just struck out. And frankly, didn't look really good doing it. Uh, but you know, that's where, and, and maybe it's a matter of Toronto just saying, I've got all these pitchers, and they haven't really gone into the bullpen a lot uh, during this series. And so they've, they've got fresh arms that if they want to go Johnny bullpen in this game and, and go one time through with Hatch and maybe another time through with K and, and see where things go, um, you know, good on them. You have this roster, you should use it. And I would say the same thing to just about every manager who's got a, who's using the back end of their pitchers, uh, their pitching rotation the next few days. So Thomas Hatch, like he looked good, but he's no ace for sure, at least yet. Um, but someone like Andrew Heaney, he he's the Angels ace. That might not be a good thing, but he is. And he looked really good when he pitched, but he only threw four four point two innings uh, with two hits and only one run. Lots of strikeouts. I think he looked pretty good, but he only threw sixty seven pitches. The Angels' bullpen is not great by any stretch of the imagination. So why do you think they... And they did mention that they were going six-man rotation Mm -hmm. in the preseason. So wouldn't that mean that their starters can throw longer and then then, uh, have an extra rest day? And why did they take Heaney out? I, I don't get that. 
Uh, perhaps it, really what it comes down to, you look at pitch counts and you see how some guys utilize their pitch counts. Uh, you know, the, like Corbin Burns, Corbin Burns went 75 pitches uh, and Milwaukee pulled him yesterday. And then we have Freddie Peralta pitching today and we'll see if Peralta is on a similar pitch count. Uh, but that's where the Angels seem to be. Uh, a lot of guys were like 75 ish pitches yesterday. Uh, as we as we're starting to get you know deeper into the rotation, and so uh, I don't recall if if Heaney missed time during summer camp, and they're and they're trying to build up the stamina uh, for that. But I agree in a six man rotation type situation where you've got Otani pitching every Sunday, you know you you would think that you could get a little more out of them, and I, and I agree that you know the the. I'd like the Angels back end. I, I mean, I, like, I really love Hansel Robles uh, at the back end of their bullpen. And I think Felix Pena, uh, depending on how they utilize him, uh, will be very intriguing as well. But that's a team that to me is built along this, hey, you know, we're not going to overexpose our starters. Just because you have six guys in the rotation doesn't mean that you should just ride them. You, know, you look at the times through the order penalty, the average ERA across the league goes up by one full run every time through the lineup. So if it's like 315, 415, 515. And even if you then you look at the first time reliever versus the versus the third time starter and the numbers are better. So if unless you've got a Haas that's really going at it, like uh you know Kyle Kyle Hendricks complete game complete game on opening day, complete game shutout. You know, you got somebody who's going at it just being very efficient, ride them. Uh, even yesterday, uh, Matt Shoemaker for the Jays looked really good on 81 pitches, but they pulled him out after that and decided to uh, and decided to go on their bullpen, and that did not work out well for them because Gaviglio um, did not pitch well uh, coming in on uh, after Shoemaker after just 81 pitches. Um, but they liked the thing on paper. So, again, with these expanded rosters, I see more and more managers, especially your forward-thinking ones, taking advantage of the matchups and trying to minimize that exposure and that third time through the order penalty. In terms of fantasy, though, how should we approach this? Should we go for guys on specific teams that, well, maybe not yet, will gain a larger sample size, but just first impression, should we go for guys on teams that seem to be letting their starters go long, or should we just kind of live with it? Uh, I've got Mike Soroka on a couple of my teams, and he was cut short, hit uh, zero runs, four hits, but only 69 pitches, and he was efficient. That's six innings. He probably could have gone a lot longer, but guys on the Braves, they've met uh, Brian Snickers, mentioned that he's not going to let his guys go that deep. So do you downgrade Mike Soroka and Max Freed? Do you upgrade? Uh, no one really comes to mind. The Cleveland, uh, Mike Clevenger, Shane Bieber, they seem to be going really, really deep. I don't know why that is. But do you upgrade guys on teams that seemed... It, once we see a little bit more, will you start to upgrade guys who are on teams that are going, letting their starters go deep? Or what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much I'm going to adjust because that's how I planned for the season. When I looked at... I did, uh, I did a lot of drafts in April after we knew the season was going to be abbreviated and I even did one four days ago in the NFBC but that's how I was drafting those teams where SP1s and SP2s I wasn't adjusting workloads beyond that that's where I was that's where I'm looking at managers not 
not utilizing those guys as as deeply as they normally would. And it's not a matter of like that guy's not capable of it, but there are a number of pitchers. Again, that third time through the order penalty is a real thing. When the league wide ERA is like five and a quarter for pitchers that do that third time through, you want to minimize your starters and and you have you've got uh, a deep bullpen uh, for the first half of the season. I can see managers utilizing that and looking at the, that matchup and saying, okay, do I bring a reliever in for three batters or do I leave my starting pitcher out there for three more? It's a, that's an easy decision when you're looking at your SP1 and your SP2, your Clevengers, your Beavers, your Hendricks, your Verlanders, your Grinkies, those types of guys. But then you're looking at the back end of these rotations and you look across Major League Baseball and you're like, how is this guy in a rotation? Uh, and then you get to your Johnny bullpen days. And these guys may be two trips through the order. If they're not efficient, they're out. Um, and that was Burns' problem on Saturday. You know, Burns threw 75 pitches through three and through three and a third, three and two thirds. He had six strikeouts, but he had three walks. Uh, and, and he had a really rough first inning and then settled down a little bit. But that was part of his problem. Meanwhile, you saw Dylan Bundy go six uh, six innings, six and a third on eighty or ninety pitches. So you know Bundy's built for that. He did that in Baltimore, but looked really good pitching yesterday um, uh, for the Angels. And so it's just a matter of how efficient can you be. That's going to determine how deep you go into a game. But if you can do, you know, like with Bundy, I think three or four hits, no walks, huge for him. That's why he was able to get as deep in. And then the Angels said, okay, we'll bring somebody else in. But I did. That's how I kept my whole lineup. So in Mike Soroka's start, he was efficient. So if we only see him go at about 70 pitches, maybe a little more in his next, let's say, two starts, will you start to downgrade him? Because he is an ace. He is efficient. But the Braves are uh, stubborn in letting their starters go deep into games. They aren't letting it happen for some reason. So would you start to downgrade Mike Soroka? And if so, when? Uh, if, if it's like this, uh, by week four, then I'd be a little concerned, but Snickers said out of the gate, he was going to have a quick hook. You go back and look at the news bits. And it was one of the things I wrote about in one of my columns, uh, one of my pieces in my Rotowire column about three weeks ago. Uh, that was one of the, he said, I'm going to have a quicker hook early on. I'm going to leverage this, this increased roster. So he put it out there. It was wide open. And so it really shouldn't be a surprise that that's what they did with Soroka on opening day. Now let's see where things are in week three. He's going to lose two roster spots here um, starting in week three. And then perhaps I mean, he's not as quick, but right out of the gate, he told us what he was going to do. And so far he's, he's held true to his word on that. And they've got a good bullpen, not they need Will Smith to come back, uh, which would help. Uh, you know, they really rode Luke Jackson pretty hard yesterday uh, and the, and the, um, the win against the Mets. Uh, he came in, but he almost blew that game uh, late too. So uh, we'll see how that the whole situation plays out. But so far, these managers are, are pretty true to their word. They said they were going to be quick early on, and they have been. Do you have any more words on starting pitchers and load management? Anything on that topic before we move on? I think the only thing is you got to take, yeah, you have to mitigate your risk. Uh, you know, when you have these guys are going to have maybe 12 starts, uh, and if they have one or two stink bombs, like Vince Velasquez today, uh, that hurts. You know, I've got Velasquez in two leagues, and, and that's going to hurt. Uh, but even Lucas Giolito, a guy you don't expect to get bombed, got bombed on opening day. Uh, so these types of things uh, happen. You have to mitigate your risk. You you can't take chances. Like if you look, oh, hey, he's got a two-start week, but you know, you're lined up against the Dodgers. You're lined up against the Rockies at Coors. There are things that normally you're like, oh, but that first start is so good. Uh, you got to mitigate your risk, uh, and if he's already had one of those stink bombs, uh, you you got to just you know take a look and say, okay, I'll pass uh, on this one. I know it's tough to pass on a two start week sometimes, uh, 
but if they put another big one, if you know Velasquez would have, he'll have a two-start week uh, two weeks from now. You really have to look at the matchup. So he may even lose that roster spot to Spencer Howard. He and Spencer Howard are, are aligned on the same day. Spencer Howard was pitching in AAA today and Velasquez at the major league level. Velasquez, not a good outing. Uh, and so Spencer Howard could come up next week and Velasquez could be in the bullpen. Before we continue to talk a little bit about closers, some guys who really got bombed or have not been hitting too well, and a little bit more, let's take a quick break for an ad. And we're back. Let's talk about closers. Um it's really too early to do anything, but let's just see where Jason is on some of these guys. So Edwin Diaz, he got another home run hit off of him. He's He was a little concerning, and I was thinking if he gets bombed in the first, uh, in the first week or so of play, you're going to have to drop him a lot in, uh, drop him a lot in your rankings. And he blew a save yesterday against the Braves. It's the Braves, but and they're really good, but he is very concerning to me. What do you think about Edwin Diaz? Uh don't panic. Seriously. Uh I watched I have Diaz in in four leagues. Uh four of the six leagues I could draft him in. Watched him Friday, looked fantastic. Watched him yesterday, and I honestly one bad pitch, and it really wasn't even a bad pitch as much of a bad approach, and Ozuna made him pay for it. Uh, if you look, I mean, the pitch that Ozuna hit out was off the plate, about a baseball and a half to two baseballs. And so you have sometimes you have to tip your hat to the to the hitter and say, you know what, you got me, and good on you. I think the problem what I had with that particular at-bat, first pitch fastball up high, then he fell behind, missed with another fastball, then he missed with a slider, then he got a got a strike with a 3-0 fastball right on the black. Then he got a beautiful 3-1 slider uh, low and away, just perfect place. Um, and then 3-2 threw another fastball off the plate, uh, and that's the one Ozuna hit out. What I didn't like about it is five of the six pitches were all right there off the edge of the plate. And I think if he would have tried to front door slider him or threw a fastball in, he could have locked him up because Ozuna was just sitting out there waiting for it. Uh, and Adam Duvall was the on-deck hitter. It's like, I would rather deal with Adam Duvall, a guy that spent all last year in AAA uh, and has been a fringe major league uh, pitcher, uh, hitter rather, versus Ozuna, uh, who we know what he's capable of. Uh, and they decided to pitch to him. I didn't agree with that particular approach, but stuff-wise, I like what I've seen of Diaz. Uh, yeah, he's still going to be occasionally wild. I mean, there was a couple of pitches you're like, yikes. But you could the velocity is still there. The slider is still really good. He, and he just the hitter won that matchup. Uh, and it maybe next time he thinks about that, let's not throw five consecutive pitches in the same relative area of the uh, uh, of the strike of the strike zone. I mean, they all weren't in the same location uh, hor- uh, horizontally, but ver- they were all in the same vertical column within like three baseballs of one another. Uh, and I just like to have, would like to have seen him come in with just one of those pitches to see what was possible. I agree. Marcelo Zuna, I think he is a really good hitter and other people agree, but I really think he's like one, one of the better hitters in the league and he's disrespected for that. But even still, it was just one bad pitch maybe, but Edwin Diaz, just his history on the Mets, it concerns me. So I am downgrading him. 
if he performs a few more times to get a few more saves and does really well, then maybe I'll uh, put him back where he belongs in my rankings. But for now, he dropped a few spots, not too much because he did look good, but he always looks good. It's just a matter of that one. It always seems like there's just one pitch for him and everything's ruined. The other guy I want to talk about is Liam Hendricks of the Oakland A's. So the A's, they there was this stat circulating. I'm not sure if you've heard of it. It kind of seemed like everyone did, but they like haven't had the same saves leader for, I think it was five straight years. So that's kind of just a storyline, but Liam Hendricks did not look good the other day. And... I, what are your thoughts on him? My thoughts on him were the same coming into the season, and I would put him in the same boat as Kirby Yates. When a reliever has a an elite-level season, uh, when they have that kind of particular season, uh, we typically see we, – we're going to – we know we're going to see some regression the next year. It's so tough for relievers to maintain that elite level of production. I mean, the, the best of the best. You're – you know – Mariano Rivera in his prime, and then uh, Kenley Jansen, you know, those types, they're able to do it year after year after year. Uh, but it is, it's so tough to have that type of season. When you see a guy take a significant step forward, as Hendricks, as Yates did last year, you have to bake in some regression on that. And uh, it's one of the reasons why I don't have either one of those guys. I did nine drafts uh, this year, and I don't have either one of those guys on my roster. I purposely faded those guys because I had concerns, not because there's just some great option uh, that I'm targeting behind them. Although, you know, San Diego does have a very deep bullpen. Um, but when you look at Oakland, yeah, it, sh- it should be his job until somebody takes it from him. And he's still the best candidate. Um, but we just saw this last year. I mean, you go back to 2018 and look how good Blake Trinan looked in that role. And then Blake Trinan had his struggles last year, and that's how Liam Hendricks got that job. And so is it is it, you know, can you is it out of the realm of possibility to say as great as Liam Hendricks looked in 2019 that he loses his job in 2020? It's definitely in the realm of possibility because we just saw it last year. I mean, Trinan looked unhittable in 18, and then he struggled to throw strikes, got dinged up, and lost his job and never got it back. But are you thinking of Liam Hendricks any differently than you're thinking about? Someone else who has about the same risk profile, but just isn't on the A's. Does that uh, not yet? I mean, I've, so I would say this: I still would take Edwin Diaz over Liam Hendricks for the rest of the year. But that's how okay. I viewed him. That's how I viewed him before the season started. I had Edwin Diaz as a top three guy, uh, based Ooh. on what I based on what I know he's capable of, based on what the advanced stats said he could have done last year. Yeah, he had a couple of big blowups, but I still had him as a top three guy. Um, and that's where that's where I am. And again, with Hendricks and Yates, I had I had faded both of them. Uh, still considered them top ten, but had faded both of them only because they have to come back down. I think I used to have them back to back, and I have moved both of them down a little bit. But I still, I, I you can convince me either way. I think Edwin Diaz might be a little riskier, so I would probably go with Hendricks but it is a close call and it's definitely possible that Diaz is the best closer once again and it's also possible that Hendricks is a good probably not the best I think Diaz's ceiling is higher just because his stuff is so good but Hendricks he could be a top five why not 
one last closer situation that I want to talk about is the Cardinals. Uh, do you have any insights on what you think will happen when Giovanni Gallegos gets back? Do you think it's his job or Kwon Gin Kim just needs to perform a little more? What do you think about that? I think it's Kim's job until he gives it up. I mean, he, he's got it out of the gate. He hasn't done anything to say, you know what, I, I, he can't do this job. Uh, we saw Gallegos, I mean, Gallegos, Gallegos took the advantage of an opportunity last year uh, and did well. But Gallegos also has value working in uh, late inning middle uh, late inning leverage situations. We mentioned it earlier with Nick Anderson. Everybody was drafting Nick Anderson as the closer in Tampa Bay, yet he came in in that 1-1 game uh, on Saturday and, and, and did his job. And so you can see Gallegos doing that same type of thing because he has the profile of a guy that does not get himself in the trouble. Yeah, he doesn't light up radar guns, but he also doesn't walk guys. He doesn't get himself in the trouble. And those are the kind of guys you want working those late average, those those two two games in the seventh inning, uh, and different things. I mean, let's let's not forget National League doesn't have to worry about uh, the pitcher spot in the lineup anymore as far as when to put a guy in and when to pull him out. All they got to worry about is, hey, can this guy pitch the three consecutive batters? Uh, that's the only rule that's in play now. And so you could see some, uh, if you're a National League fan, some different utilization uh, of pitchers that you're not nor- you're normally not uh, accustomed to seeing. And I think Gallegos is going to be one of those guys who could end up with wins and saves uh, by the end of the year. Just the same thing as Kim, uh, unless Schilt decides, hey, I'm just going to be a traditional manager and my closer works the ninth inning only. Uh, uh, I hope he's not that manager because uh, that's that would be the, the Cardinals could be leaving some wins on the table if they stay in that kind of rigidity. Yeah, I agree. Some, some other guys I have concerns about are uh... Who just got lit up? Lucas Giolito and Charlie Morton. Giolito threw three point two innings, six hits, seven runs. He was facing the Twins, so we didn't expect this to be a good outing, really. Like, not we did not expect this though. So, what do you think about Giolito? Are you worried at all about him returning to his twenty eighteen form where he was? One of the worst pitchers of in the game. Not all the way there, but do you think he can continue what he was doing in 2019 where he was a Cy Young contender? I, if I'm trying to recall, I believe Giolito had a bomb the first game out of the gate last year too. I mean, when you looked at it, again, let's, that Twins lineup is nasty. Uh, when you can, when they've got the righty and they could have Max Kepler hitting lead off against righties, and you saw him take the very first pitch of the game um, out of the yard and just jump on that fastball, and and going, then that's what he's capable. That's what that lineup's capable of. They can put a hurting on a pitcher, and so you have to look at that and say, yeah, you know that kind of thing happens. But I'm I'm looking back at Giolito last year, opened against an easy Royals lineup, had a win. Then had a very rough outing against a bad Seattle team. Then had a rough outing against the Yankees. Uh, then was a short, I think it was a rain delay outing against the Royals. Then they had an uh, outing against Boston. And then he got on fire. So he like he stumbled out of the gate. And that was five starts. And then he was just, for the most part, unhittable for a, a big stretch of the season. Um, except for a, you know, a hiccup. There was a hiccup against the Cubs and, and uh, around Father's Day. And then, oh, hey, there's Minnesota putting a hurting on him again. Uh, on July 25th of last year, almost a year to the day, five innings, seven hits, seven runs, four home runs. So, but then he comes back and faces Minnesota uh, a month later and complete game shut up with 12 strikeouts. So this is why baseball, you can't predict it. Things like this happen. Two of the last, you know, the three of the last four times he's faced uh, 
the Twins, they put a hurting on him. But then he's got that complete game shutout, too. So, yeah, but again, getting back to our earlier point, last year he stumbled out of the gate. That's five starts. That's almost half of the season. These guys are going to get 12 to 15 starts, and he can't afford this kind of thing. Uh, and when people were drafting him, they were drafting him high. I mean, he was a uh, round three, round four pitcher uh, from a lot of what I saw. And so this is not the type of outing you expect. But the you know, good news is he's not alone. There were a lot of other SP1s and SP2s that struggled this weekend as well. So are you moving him down your rankings or is it just too early or who are are some guys you have him close to? Not touch him. I mean, not touch him. He's still, he's still an SP one. I really like the offensive support he's going to have. I love when Grandal's catching him. Grandal's a phenomenal uh, catcher and that should help him with some things. He's just, you know, first start, he faced a really good team and they made him pay for some mistakes. It happens. Uh, Let's see what happens. You know, let's see what happens in the next couple of outings, but that's what the twins lineup is capable of. I mean, getting back to our, uh, thing earlier about you got to mitigate your risk when you're looking at a week. Like if you've got the Twins and the Yankees as the two start week for your pitcher, I don't care who that pitcher is. I really want to take a, have a seat because that could be one ugly beating to your ratios. Um, at the, when it's all said and done, for the cost of what you know, some strikeouts, you may try try something different. But you've got to look at your matchups. Uh, and Twins and Yankees are two of those teams that just stand out, saying, "Yeah, I'm going to pass." A few guys, a few other guys who are. Somewhat concerning at the moment, at least to me. Charlie Morton, he let up a lot of hits and runs. Uh, James Paxton did not look good. Do you have any words on them before we move on to a little talk about hitting? Yeah, concern. I'm, I'm more concerned about Paxton. Paxton, there's a really good article on CBS Sportsline by Mike Exissa uh, showing how Paxton's arm angle has dropped about six inches uh, and he's lost some velo. So I encourage people to go read that. That's problematic. I mean, he yeah, he had his surgery and everything, but if he's not throwing as hard as he normally does and with a lower arm angle, he just did not look good Saturday night. And reading that article Sunday morning, if I had any shares of Paxton, I would be greatly concerned. Uh, with Morton, one of the things that stood out was he wasn't throwing as hard as he normally does either. Uh, but there's been some talk in, in, in Tropicana Field that the gun's a little cool uh, this week. Uh, but in watching oh. today's game, it seems to be just fine. Uh, but Morton's velocity was down about two and a half miles an hour. So that's something to keep an eye on uh, on his next outing this coming week to see where that is. Um, and I would be concerned if he's only working 92, 93 versus where he was throwing last year when he was looking so good doing it. Um, so that's where I am on those guys. So what would you recommend people do so i have james paxton on a lot of my teams just because i thought he was not quite an ace but somewhat close at least closer than other guys going in his range so i have a few shares of him what do you recommend that i do i am lost just Uh, i don't know (laughs) it's i mean it's tough because paxton was probably a you know maybe your first or second pitcher i've seen him as a lot of staff aces he he was like my my third usually so okay i mean you maybe you give him another one, but again, if you if you watch the game Saturday night and read what what Mike wrote in his column, you know your warning sign should be on, like, oh, this may be problematic, uh, and so you should make sure that you can absorb it if you have a chance to put some guys on your roster spot on your bench that you can try to stream in and cover. You I mean you can't just replace a guy uh, like Paxton, but if you've got some options depending on the depth of your league that you can just kind of stream in, that would help. Okay. Thanks for the advice because it's a confusing situation with him. Uh, do you think hitters are ready? Like, do you think they look slow 
their swings it just in general do you think their swings look slow or what's up in that section of baseball I haven't seen too much to concern me on the hitting side uh right now i mean when you look at some of the exit velocity on some of the guys i mean there's there's some snot rockets being hit in some of these games uh and so i haven't seen anything if, if anything i think guys are being a little more aggressive than normal uh and, and not working counts uh, i've seen some of that in games but you know that's kudos to the pitchers if the pitchers can pound the strike zone it forces the hitters to do things uh but if they're going to get cute and pitch around then the hit then the hitters will sit back and wait but uh, your strike throwers the guys in strike the guys that pound the strike zone and do that are forcing hitters to put things in play without trying to hunt for their pitch uh, and so i haven't seen anything again that that concerns me like hey these guys are doing this these guys are doing that uh, I mean, shoot, Phil Gosselin's got two home runs. Uh, Lurie Garcia's <laughs> got, I mean, this is the weirdness of opening weekend. This is, you know, we uh, old timers call it the Carl Rhodes uh, syndrome. You know, guy comes out and has a three home run day on opening day and and then doesn't do anything for the rest of the season. Uh, so we're seeing some of those, the the, the next wave of the Carl Rhodes um, come into play uh, with this weekend. But, you know, eventually everything will, uh, will catch up. Before you have to go, what is your number one takeaway of absolutely everything we just talked about? Playoff expansion, extra innings, pitcher load management. What What's your number one takeaway? Uh, mitigate your risk on the pitching. Uh, it's going to be an unusual season. Uh, I'm 100% convinced that relievers will have more wins than starting pitchers this year. Uh, and am rather convinced that a relief pitcher is going to lead a league in wins this year. Uh, Seth wow. Lugo, I'm looking at you, but you know that's that's where I see. And right now, uh, you know, we're at a 58 to 42 uh, split on the percentages between uh, starters and relievers, uh, and that's the highest it's ever been. Uh, and so, and that's with the the SP ones and twos going. Let's see how it is today with the threes, the fours, and the fives coming in the next couple of days, where relief wins should really take off. Uh, and I, again, at the end of the season, we're going to have more than half the wins in the league going to relief pitchers in your roster needs to reflect that. If you have a bunch of starters, you're going to be hurting in wins. All right. Thank you, Jason. So it was a pleasure to have you on today. Do you want to tell the listeners where to find you on Twitter, where to find your uh, articles, all of that stuff? Yeah, uh, at Jason Collette on Twitter. Uh, articles uh, go up every Monday evening at Rotowire uh, on the Collette Calls. It's a free 10-day trial if you go to rotowire.com forward slash free or forward slash radio. It allows you to do a 10-day free trial, of trial without even a credit card. Uh, and then so you can get, because my articles are behind the paywall there, but then on Sundays, record a Sleeper in the Bus podcast with Justin Mason uh, and sometimes some guests there as well. All right. Thank you so much. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at FOV underscore sports. I'll talk to you next time. But until then, Eisen out. <laughs>